Finance for hippies, teeth swag and ducky. 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 Perhaps my small town perceptions and the ideals do not coincide with the new school of thought. A world which appreciates a frazzled and worn torn you, who keeps on applying facades of codes that conceal you. If one were to stop and look at your reflection, one won't be astounded or retreat to denial. For if the forces of reality were fully exerted on you, an epiphany would occur. Welcome to season two of Finance for Hippies. That was beautiful, bro. Thank you. That was beautiful. I would take credit for that fine penmanship, but I will not. All right, we're gonna because, explain uh, the guest is here, and they'll probably put me in my place. All right, all right, all right. What's up, guys? What's up? It's Tito so here as well. Maybe you can touch on this is the water episode, bro. For sure. Uh, episode. It was a rough week. Don Salamaka, Don Salamaka got lost. Don Salamaka is no longer with us. Today. The show is hosted by Tabing Richard Sihumi. Today, I found out something quite important. Teeth's real name. For three years I've known this dude, I never knew his name. He mentioned it in brief, but it has never been something we've discussed. That's how our relationship been, has been. Can you please introduce yourself formally to the people? Yo, what's up guys? This is uh, T Swag, host of Finance for Hippies. I got no, I'm not doing that government stuff. I'm not doing, there's no government name. But what I do have is, I've got a hot guest. Um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of bio, a little bit of background. Um, and maybe if we hold on long enough, I can give a government name. But right now, T Swag is the host of this show. There are no government names. So, on this water episode, we've got a tastemaker a curator, a BA Honours in Curatorship from the Michaelis School of Fine Arts. And her BA, she did a BA majors in Art History, English Literature, Media and Writing. She's currently doing her MA in Heritage and Culture Management, right? I'm blazing away, I'm doing this well. And, you know, she's got a very interesting approach to curatorship, you know, it's been written that her approach to curatorship is to work towards achieving decolonized archives and spaces for knowledge production. Oh. Do you even know what that means? I have no idea. I actually think I actually think this episode is above your level of understanding. But I mean, so we've got, you know, she's the founder of Curated by Tembi, which is an art consultancy, art direction, curation, and art dealing platform. She's also um, the founder of Art of Dining, a monthly event that intersects food and art, all under a company called Creative Curations. Kulega Sakonga, we're getting, we're getting to your name. We just need, we need people to know that this is, this is like a proper episode. This is hard. She's also, um, she was also listed uh, under MTV Base, Women Who Are Killing It. And I like to refer to her as a cultural influencer of the new wave. She's curator extraordinaire, cultural influence of the new wave. Why did no one even clap when I no, said no, that? No, I no, think no. that's a hard cultural influence of the new wave. Come on, guys, come on. Cultural influence of the new wave, the lovely Mastembagazi Matroshe. An amazing cook as well. What's up? 
Hi guys, how's everyone doing? Thank you, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that watching. That was um, quite a bio. That was hard, that was hard. I yeah, no, I don't want to like that was, that was pretty hard. I think in season 10, we're going to do these bios though, just like off the top, you know what I'm saying? I hear you, but the quote, do... you had me at the quote. Which quote, which quote? The one um, you read in the beginning. For sure. I was like, what fake deep shit is this? Are you serious? <laughs> Before I knew it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> That was no. you. No. <laughs> that was you circa 2013. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Are you serious? Do you still write the uh, Creatively, not really. Oh yeah? I think academia does that sort of thing to you. It mm. stifles that creative energy. I haven't written creatively in so long. That's, that's, that's quite wow. Yeah. We thought that was beautiful. That I was know. titled Elasticity, right? Thank you. Maybe I might go back. Who knows? I see. So, no, you better go back. And, and apparently your cooking game is, you know, before we get into the deep stuff, apparently your cooking game is also like, I got like CI, like private investigation information that like, you really go in like in your cooking, like no jokes. Ask, like, where do you guys get all this information? We do our research. No, I'm a bit creeped out. I'm not going to lie. Are you serious? Mm. So we're lying about your cooking. I mean, I am a good cook. Yes. But at I the hear moment, you're a phenomenal cook. At the moment, I'm on this healthy tip. So, okay. like, a lot of my meals are very, very health conscious and strict. What's your favorite meal to prepare? I love cooking a lamb stew with dumpling. Mm. Oh, yeah, no. uh, the best. The, plus, this weather is perfect for that type of food. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I know. So... Uh, but that's 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 that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think we'll we'll touch on we'll touch on to a whole lot of things just about you as well. And that maybe give us a preface of how we're gonna be doing this episode, please. Usually finance for hippies kicks off with an alcohol beverage. Mm. Last week we were sipping on mimosas with presidential sparkling wine. But today finance for hippies has changed. Finance for hippies has emptied its mind. We are now formless, shapeless. When you put water in a cup, the water becomes the cup. You put water in a teapot, the water becomes the teapot. Water flows, water crashes, water gives life, water can take life. Today, Finance for Hippies is drinking water. That's what's up. For sure. And that was a special request of our guests because we always respect our guests. Thank you for that. Thank you for keeping the show healthy. You know, everybody's going to get their jumpster. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we detox. We detoxing. You know? Funk is not happy with your choice of beverages. <laughs> we'll just say that. We'll just say that. But yeah, so to, to just cut into it then as well. So this episode, we're obviously just going to be getting to know a bit about you. And I think one of the core things that we'll be touching on is your work as a curator. And um, how we think we're going to run through it is that the first half of the episode, we're basically just going to touch on what you actually do for artists, how artists can actually benefit from a relationship with you. And then we're going to look at collectors, how you work with collectors. So how you work with collectors, the benefits of that and all the kind of work that you are trying to do as a curator. Did we give the episode title? Art as an investment for beginners and an introduction to art collection. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, firstly, just like, what is a curator and how did you even find that, you know? So curating um, essentially is just managing 
collections and creating space for them in the traditional sense. So the first curators were people that would organize um, cabinets of curiosities back in the 1800s. And okay. what they would do essentially is organize um, their masters' collections of um, uh, anything that they would find on their pursuits or on their escapades. And with contemporary times, that has stuck around, but the idea behind curating is creating a space and protecting or preserving, as well as creating narratives around objects or artworks. So for me personally, um, the whole notion of curating is something I found quite early in my life because I studied fine art in high school okay. and with all the exhibitions we used to go to, my um, teacher, who I'm still in contact with now, her name is Natalie Van Veek, she would curate all of our shows and she was very deliberate about teaching us um, about fine art terms, jobs in fine art, ap apart from being an artist, right? So things like being an art consultant, an art advisor, or an art curator. And when I went to university, I decided I was not going to study fine art. I wanted to study art history specifically because I was already interested in writing and researching about art. Mm. So after the art history major in my undergrad, I felt that I got an education, but it wasn't quite practical. Like the next best thing I could do was be an art writer. And that's not all I wanted to do. I wanted to have my own creative practice, right? And I think curatorship allowed for that because we were exposed to the curatorial course, which is offered at UCT. Okay. And it's a one year honors course. You can come from any discipline. So you can come from an architectural discipline, a science discipline, um, accounting, marketing. We had so many people from different disciplines and we all had our own interests. So I went in there um, wanting to know how to pull shows off, like from a practical point, how do you hang artworks? How do you write wall texts? How do you um, create labels? How do you write press releases? So the communication element, because it's a, it's a kind of job that um, allows you to engage with the public a lot of the time. You don't work alone. And then after studying curatorship, I was like, cool, I've got this course. And they they call curatorship a skill similar to driving, right? So once you get your driver's license, mm. you don't necessarily call yourself a driver if you can't really drive. So after I got the curatorship um, like qualification, I still felt like mm, I'm not quite a curator because I haven't really curated my own shows. Mm. And as we all Bars. know... Unemployment is real in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as I finished school, the first job I had was a research post at the Zeitzmoker in Cape Town. Okay, and okay. I was just working in that museum as a researcher. Um, in, I was engaging with the curators, but there were no like posts that I could find that were paying well enough in Cape Town for curatorial positions. Then I decided, let me just move to Joburg. I had no plan, like whatsoever. Shout out to you, shout out to you. I moved that's to Joburg and I decided I'm just going to um, do my own thing, you know. So that's when the company came about, where I saw that, okay, there are a lot of independent artists who are in similar positions to me. They're not represented by galleries. They want to sell work, but they don't have access to um, people. They don't have clients. And I thought maybe I could bridge that gap. Mm. So I started off scouting um, artists that I liked, artists that uh, had potential, because the idea was to look at emerging artists, not established artists. So then we'll 
go into it later around yeah. the collecting and so on. But I that was my trajectory from the start where I had nothing and I had to start somewhere. Mm. And the business literally started from my social media because that's all I had. I had a lot of followers. I had a lot of networks. And I thought, let me leverage that. And that's how I got into actively curating and selling art without having um, a job at a gallery or without having my own gallery. Mm. And I just kept, I kept, I kept it moving even before I had the capacity. Um, but everything kind of like started building as I went along. Tembi, I think, I think that's really, really cool. I think that's really, really dope. Even just like your approach and your perspective on it. But I also think there's maybe a few things that you maybe jumping over because I'm really trying to figure it out from your background and how you kind of found yourself in mm. the space of understanding that I don't, I'm coming to Josie with nothing. If everyone, especially within our, our, our space, you know, when I'm saying our space, maybe it's just like black people, especially, I don't want to make it even that thing. But a lot of people want to get into the space where you're artists, where you're makers. A curator is a very specialized thing. How did you even... Yeah, I'm sure at some point, how did you firstly just find that in yourself? I actually want to curate. I think it starts because sometimes you exist as something and then once someone gives it a name or defines it for you, then you're like, oh, wow, that's actually what I want to be. So for me, it came from coming from a high school perspective, as I said, where I already knew that there were these kinds of jobs and I wanted to navigate the art world in a very specific way not as an artist. And then as soon as I started engaging with people who worked as um, curators, who worked as art advisors, I would always be very keen to understand how this thing works. But at the same time, it was always within institutions. So I never, for the life of me, thought you can be an independent curator or independent art advisor. So it had to be a personal um, recollection of, I've seen this work for particular people, but I'm in this particular situation where nothing is opening up for me i'd rather create something for myself so it was really like a leap of faith who's the hottest curator who inspires you at the moment um jeez do a kanye i inspire myself i mean yes yes <laughs> yes yes um they lot they actually a lot of curators that i look up to um, maybe a lot of people might not know them because they work like deep within institutions. Um, but the one's name is Nomusa Makubu. She's a black woman academic from UCT. Um, the other is Ngule Mabaso. There's also um, Koyo. I totally forgot her surname, but she's the director at the Zeitzmoka. Her first name is Koyo. And I have some mentors in the industry who are much more advanced than I am. Azunwak Bogu is one of them. He's from Nigeria, but he was also a director at the Zaitsmoka. Um, Samem Zuli, she's the uh, head curator at the Standard Bank Art Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly young black um, individuals who are carving paths for themselves, yes. Are you, are you satisfied, Ndak? I don't know any one of those people. But are you like satisfied in terms of, do you think right now, from what she's saying, do you get what a curator is doing right now? And be honest. Yeah, because yeah. What? For, for me, honest, uh, you know, 
as a normal person, uh, these are very hidden career paths. Like uh, if uh, I had a kid and they said they wanted to be a curator, you know, uh, lots of question marks would pop in. Uh, it seems like it's a vast sort of like career that not normal people are in, into. Uh, like no one would go and study curatorship. Uh, I tried curating some playlists a while back. I don't even if, know if that's valid or not. No, those are hard to no, that, that, that one uh, Google Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah playlist for that sure. you create. But it's sure. a very interesting uh, uh, like field that you're in. Uh, we discussed it briefly with, with Teeth, and that's why we chopped the episode. The way we saw it was that you are one of the few people, I guess, in the art market that brings in the artist and another market altogether, uh, which is the collector. So yeah. maybe we can kick off uh, discussing uh, your relationship with the artist, how do you build those relationships, how do you uh, spot an upcoming artist, uh, mm. you know, Yes. And what do you, after spotting that talent, what do you provide to them for them to flourish? So here is just a practical point from like spotting artists. Something I do with a lot of my peers and colleagues, we go to grad shows. So when um, all of these fourth years finish school, they all okay. have their individual solo exhibitions. And of course, when someone is at fourth year level, they are if they are good at their work, they are bound to be catapulted into some sort of stardom because all of these galleries are looking for the next best thing. Okay. So I started off collecting, like my personal collection. So I was not really um, interested in selling art for other artists. I just wanted to build my collection. Okay. So that's how I started just looking um, for artists and constantly wanting to know who's new, who just came out with like something fresh. Mm. So that was how I honed my eye. So I'd attend all of these um, grad shows across the universities in Cape Town. That's when I was based there. And then from that, I started establishing the relationship because once you buy a young artist's work, they want to stay in contact with you forever because yeah. you're kind of like their first client. So I moved from being the client to actually wanting to sell the work because I could see that a lot of them feel disempowered by just the structure and the market um, of the art world because it's so elitist and because it's very closed. So then, you know, I devised my own ideas around how I can do it. And the conversation between me and them was simply the fact that, A, I will give you my I will give you access to my network and B obviously I, I take a commission from that but you yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't have a Cut fixed contract check. like we would be like you would be consigned to an art gallery it's a case of I'm selling your work on your behalf but you're also free to do whatever you yeah. want to do you're not bound to me mm -hmm. so that's how it kind of started just looking at new graduates um, and then when I moved here to Joburg, this, it was completely different because in Cape Town, the art world is very academic. Mm. But when I moved this side, I started meeting artists who have um, studios on Constitution Hill, uh, studios in Brahm, self-taught artists, um, a lot of artists who uh, are not necessarily visible within gallery spaces, but they're killing it commercially. A lot of artists who are not visible in South African galleries, but they're killing it um, abroad. So then I started to 
literally have a lookout on social media where I'm constantly in communication with other artists and I'll be like, let me know if you have a friend who's trying to, you know, get their work out. So I literally always have my ear to the ground and the art market is always moving. So I always need to know what's in, what's out, who's, the streets. who's hot, so. who's not. Finance for hippies is all about moving units. Shout out to G-Unit. You need to move units like 50 cent back in his heyday. Diamond. Diamond two times. When we come back, we're going to get the scoop on how to move G-Units. Finance for Hippies is coming right back. Need a new gun? Ngabi Financial got you. Need a new getaway car? Ngabi Financial got you. Need money for hotel stay? We got you. We'll even throw in a free sidekick because we care about the unemployment rate. Ngabi Financial. Catch a body with our bag. T's and C's apply. Please note, if you do not pay, we'll call Ngabi on you. Ngabi Financial. An ad just played, right? An ad just played. Thank you very much, whoever just bought me the next car. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. One of the consistent questions I ask our guests is... How, as an artist, because this is finance for hippies, and to be honest, finance uh, hippies need to live, they need to earn a living. How do you move units as an artist? What would you recommend? Two artists, you're asking two artists, artists, right? If the artist is just selling their work on their own without like a third party. Yeah, or however, do, do they join a third party? Do they push it by themselves? How should they work the game? So this is my opinion, right? With clients or art collectors in general, and I guess any kind of consumer, you're always looking for, you know, a discount. You're always looking for, you you just want to get like something for less all the time. So I find that when um, collectors deal directly with artists, there tends to be an element of disrespect because I see you as the maker. I don't see you as the person that I can talk numbers with or I don't see you as the person that I can cut deals with so with me what I do and it it happens with any kind of art form so that's why you always need a manager to be that person to intercede in these instances so what I advise a lot of artists and I had an instance a week ago when I sold an art piece for this particular guy and he said to me I don't like nowadays dealing with my clients directly. I'd rather they speak to someone like you because they will say to me, oh, you sold this to someone for this much, but I'm getting it for this much. That time, artists have different relationships with people. Sometimes you'll give someone a discount because they once funded a certain project or it could, it's very relative, you know. So I would advise that the artist always has someone such as, an advisor or a curator or a manager that will help sell on their behalf. And then the person you choose has to have a very strong network. So you can't just pick any old person to sell your work. It's network-based. And access to people with the funds, people who can afford your work, not people who are going to try to get discounts. And also the other thing is the curator or the advisor needs to be very knowledgeable and needs to know how to contextualize your work because it comes across as a marketing strategy as well. So when I sell work to people, I sell them the narrative behind the art piece so that they feel confident enough to invest in it. I can't let someone sell work when they know absolutely nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So those are just a few things that could assist. 
To be honest, I found that uh, artists have a very peculiar relationship with money. It's important to them when it's not there, but when it's there, they disregard it altogether. Yeah. Teeth, what's your relationship with money? How do you see money? No, man, I, I, I think my relationship with money is growing. Um, but I think, you know, our brothers and sisters out there who are making art and who we kind of make the kind of content that we are bringing to, to the table and into the market, a lot of guys are, you know, it's almost like they're overwhelmed and they prefer to stay ignorant about the whole discussion. And we were discussing even with him before this episode. I was explaining to him that there's literally just like a crisis with artists who are, even in Joburg, I'm happy that you touched on it because there's a lot of, we don't lack talent and we don't lack people who are making, but like we, we lack this kind of access to how to monetize your career. I think with what you're doing, if I'm an artist and whether I'm in Newtown or I'm in wherever, man, Eshoe, that's where I'm from, shout out to my hometown. But like, if I'm an artist listening to the show, it's like, okay, cool. What can you do for me? And how, how are you managing that kind of, 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 of relationship with the artist? Because the money thing is deep. Artists are very Definitely. Are deep. So it's like, yeah, when you intersect, what are you seeing that you can do for artists? So the first thing for me is to come in through my curatorial practice, right? Is to speak to the artist as somebody that creates work. So I engage with the work immediately. Mm. I'm not coming in as a salesperson. I'm coming in to engage with the work intellectually to see if it stimulates me, to see if I find it pleasing aesthetically, to see if I would buy the work. That's the first thing with all the artists that I interact with. And if I feel that the artist is falling short in a certain way, I'll say, mm, that's unresolved or you need to work on that more, change your technique. So it's very um, practical. It starts from that point. I won't just be like, oh, it's amazing, even though I don't think it's not there yet. Because oh, so you're honest as well. Yes, I'm very honest. And it's also because I've got my credibility to protect. Mm. So I can't sell work that I would never buy myself, work mm. that I would never invest in. Mm. Then secondly, I need to help you understand how, as we spoke about the monetization mm. of the work, because I find that the art industry is very iffy about money, just in general. It's not even just artists, but I find that there's a lot of purity that happens around money and we try to um, disassociate the art from the money because mm. we don't want to taint the work so a lot of the time like you'll go to exhibitions and you'll only get prices on request because they don't want you to know how much it's worth then it changes your perception of mm. the artwork so it ha it has to be an educational process because art students go to study fine art, but there's not one course that teaches them about finance. Exactly. There's, and there's not even one course that teaches them about even pricing their work. A lot of artists undercharge and they don't even know how to price the work. Mm. So those are the kind of things that we workshop where I teach you now, okay, you're independent. No one is going to do everything for you. You basically represent yourself. I'm just the medium. I'm not going to do your job. Mm. So when you come to me, the work needs to be resolved it needs to be of a high quality. 
Secondly, you need to price your own work. I'm not going to price your work for you. I can help you. I can say, okay, let's look into the materials you used. How much time did you spend? So you give yourself like a rate per hour as the artist and then you add your profits and then I'll add my commission. But it becomes like a very practical conversation. Then after that, once we start to sell the work, I'll tell you, I'm leveraging my network, so there's certain things you can't do. Like some of the people I interact with are very high profile. So you can't, let's say I sold an artwork to Black Coffee, which I did, by the way. You can't go around saying, oh, my work was worth so much. Black Coffee bought it. You don't know what that person is going through. Mm. You don't know what kind of lifestyle they're trying to maintain. Mm. So you can't go around, you know publicly proclaiming such things. Yeah. So it's a process. Like I I'm very you could never work on Ducky. What's <laughs> the first thing I break up about that coffee release a song about it. A mixtape track about that just song. Song. Sorry. Continue, continue. But there's continue. a lot, there's a lot that they don't teach art students in art school, which I've kind of like decided to do just from a practical point of you're a maker but you're also a business person. Get that into your head. You selling art. You, you don't have to wait for me to sell it on your behalf. If I'm not there, you need to know how to send invoices. You need to know how to interact with the client. Bars. All sorts of like practical measures like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, again, those are the types of things that we're trying to get into as well. You know, the thinking from our side is, was always a case of, you know, I know the, the experience of being in art school and then being like, okay, cool. Now you're confronted by the world. How do I make money? Where do I ask questions about money? And nothing out there is packaged to explain money to you as an artist. So I'm exactly. glad that you're kind of seeing this part that you're playing, that it's, 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 there's such a much bigger role in terms of, you know, edu- educating a lot of these artists and in trying to come up with these solutions for artists. What are some of the challenges that you are then finding that you're dealing with with artists in terms of just the problems that they give you in terms of how you are trying to help them with access. What are some of the challenges you're getting from artists? I think the one is just thinking small. So it goes back to that lack of information or access to knowledge, right? You're highly skilled in this um, field of making the work, but now you can't see yourself within the bigger scheme of things. You can't imagine yourself as an artist post humus like you you will die and you might leave a legacy so these are the seeds that you need to start sowing right now so such things as when you make an artwork you need to have a certificate of authenticity that you sign because every artwork um has to be dated and every artwork has to be on a record mm-hmm. there are artists that i've dealt with that said i've been making work for five years and I have no idea who has bought them my work is all over the place. I don't know. I don't even know who has purchased the work. So how do you build like your own kind of oeuvre as an artist, which is just like your own body of work when you don't even know which collections your work lies in? Mm. So it's a lot of mis- misinformation. Um, but a lot of the job of being an artist is recording and keeping track and creating a culture of being very... Um, meticulous about your practice beyond just making the work but also being your own bookkeeper, your own assistant, your own PA like there's a lot that goes into just managing your own practice as an artist. Next thing your artwork is popping up at an auction for one million rand and you 
Don't sell on Manga is the owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So yeah. record-keeping is something uh, finance for hippies has always uh, promoted. Administration of your business, it's really key for it to be successful. I would like to invite Vets University to take up Finance for Hippies Season 1 as the standard curriculum to yeah. all yeah. artists. Exactly. Yes. Shout out to yes. you. Right? Yes. To Exactly, exactly. I agree, you should though. shout out to that. Look, yeah. we, 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 it, it's crazy. Access is a crazy thing because we know that the conversation that we have is like, it's hot, you know, it, 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 it's fire, it's a necessary conversation, but this thing of, 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 of access as well, you know, I, I, I like what you said, man. Shout out, Vitz, Vitz should, you know, Definitely. open that door. You Online know? costs. We need Online it. Costs. Yeah, but yeah, we're going to need that bag up. And cut that. <laughs> 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 we need that bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really think, I really think that's a, a, a good thing to really, really pick up on, bro. Timby, I see you, you've got a big social media following. So already if I'm an artist, I'm like, okay, this person, I can see what you're doing. Artists got a lot of ego and it's that I'm either going to be scared to reach out to you. Firstly, because I'm just going to be like, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have time to check out my stuff. Do you like, do you want artists to actually be coming up to you and showing you um, stuff or emailing you like, this is what I, this is what I'm doing? Or you are positioning yourself to, you know, at the end of the day, you're taste making yourself. So you're like, okay, I like that. I like that. I like that. You know, are there maybe artists you don't want to just be coming up to? How are you navigating that? I'd start by saying when I worked at a commercial gallery that was really big, we had artists coming in through the doors every single day with their portfolios. Mm. We had artists calling us every single day. We had artists emailing us. Excuse me. No worries. We had artists calling us daily, wanting to get their work on the walls of our gallery, right? And a part of me, and you can imagine um, this type of person that comes in there, black, young, unemployed, struggling, and they are at wit's end. Like, this is literally the artist equivalent of going to random places and sending your CV, yeah, even yeah, if there yeah. are no vacancies, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was always disheartening for me because there's that perception that we just give them like the impression that we'll have a look at their portfolios, yeah, but yeah. we really won't yeah. because we, as the gallery, go out and we find. Yeah. We never have people that come to us. Exactly. So that kind of touched my heart and resonated with me in a sense where I want to be accessible to artists from all walks of life, artists from all disciplines, artists who have been formally trained and those who have not, artists who are known, artists who aren't, artists who are emerging, artists who are established. So already my email is inundated constantly with people that come to me for instance i had a woman who does beadwork and she said hey i do beadwork and i've been showing at these expos but i really want to get into fine art so even if i'm seeing that the work is not there yet i'm always open to advising so then i just give what you'd call free advice and i'll say to the person look you can go in such and such a route so that i start to hone people to get to a position where they can be represented by me. Mm. So I'm never like too snobbish about it. If the art is not good or not good enough, you can always have five minutes to say to the person, work on that, do that, come back to me when you have worked on those kinds of things. But most of the time, I seek the artists. Like yeah. the ones who I will confidently sell work for are the ones that I find 
or it's very seldom that it's the ones that come to me that I end up, you know, representing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm very open to that. Yeah. yeah. You tell an artist, dude, work on your technique. With the ego that's usually associated with an artist, how do they take it? Teeth. One. Work on your technique. Nah, I'm out of here. <laughs> work, work on your technique. Work on your technique of, of talking to me. I'm out of here. How do they usually take it, the criticism? It depends, right? Because firstly, I'm not an artist. So I only have a trained eye, but I can't diss your work. I can't say, oh, that is so terrible. Because the person would say to me, oh, what can you do? Like, no, chop them know? up, Tembi. No, <laughs> chop them up. I just, this is curation. You've got I a mean, career, you built a career. Chop I know, these kids I up. know. But it's, 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 whack work out it's the understanding that you must meet a person with empathy. Like, understand that the person took their time. Sometimes I get sent really wonky portfolios. Wonky. Like, in the same, the person will Whack. have that's wonky. That hearted game time, wonky. That's that's a heart. So, like, you'll get, for instance, someone sending you a portfolio of um, pen drawings on exam pad paper, or just like very, I don't know. Disrespect. I'm listening to that. And I guess, like, for some people, it's just a matter of showing you their potential. So they there are levels to this feedback thing where yeah. you're like, honestly, now, like, like yeah, I, I have to tell you, like, start over, like, from scratch. But then there are some people whose practice is getting there, but not quite. So you, you can give them practical advice, literally. If someone worked on, let's say, they were experimenting with a new medium. Like, I have this a friend who was working with cowhide, but then she bought synthetic cowhide. Mm. And the synthetic cowhide didn't burn as well. She was burning into it to, to sketch. Okay. So it didn't burn well. And we had to tell her, look, man, this thing isn't working. And she was showing at the gallery that I was working in. So she had like a couple of artworks that were on wood, which came out beautifully. But then the ones on the synthetic leather were not quite there. And we said, you can revisit this concept at an, a later point. We can see that you're starting to get into it. So maybe you need a bit more time figuring out the medium. So there you've given the person practical advice. You haven't said, your work is horrible. Wanky. Wonky. Wonky. <laughs> I said a guy. Sounds that. like you're a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> you're a wanker of an art. It's a nice medium. You're wonky. Get yeah. to this wonky edge. It's not going to sell it. Throughout this interview, our sound engineer, C Funk, has been looking at that beautiful picture. Ooh. He cannot keep his eyes out of it. Keith, tell us about this. This is from um, Mr. Great Joe Ndovo. Um, it's actually from a friend of the show who's also a young art collector. Should definitely check him out. Um, he was also a guest first season. His name is Kuda. So Kuda. He, no, it's Kuda Sankwanga. There's lots, oh, of, okay. lots of Kudas. I think Kuda is the equivalent of the name Sipo. There's one thing buying an artwork and being called a collector. When are you officially called a collector? We'll find out after the break. <laughs> Yeah. Aren't you tired of doing the same thing all day? Waking up in the morning and going to work? 
You probably have goals and dreams you'd like to achieve. Well, Finance for Hippies in association with Miss Brown Productions brings you Just Wing It, a juice that you can drink that has absolutely nothing to do with all the things I've said. The only thing I can say about the juice is that it tastes real good. So of her being there, that yeah, makes yeah, money. Yeah. You're so very well-spoken. Yeah. Me? Yeah, oh, thank you. I think but that's part of the art world thing, yeah? What? To be, to be articulate. To you have to imagine. Well, I'm sure, but I, say, I always wanted to, to ask you about that. I, I think, yeah, yeah, it, it's like, but I'm sure that must also, does that not get tiring at some stage? It or is exhausting. You, it's just like being a black person, I guess, in that space. So, after you take out the facade, what type of person are you, like, normally? You like eat my choo-choo with tea at home, watching Isidingo, and you're like, ah! Isidingo is okay, But then when you're at work, you're like, ah, yeah, glass of wine, please. Yeah. I think it's also the recognition that um, you're dealing with very elite people, so yeah. half the time, you will literally be starstruck in a gallery because in walks in somebody that you really admire and only know from TV, right? Mm, yeah. But now you are at work and you have to perform, you have to make a yeah. sale, you have to snap out of it. So you'll be introduced. Um, and this happened to me last year where my mentor came into the gallery with an uber famous person and the person was like, I'm looking to buy some work. And I'm sitting there frozen. I'm yeah. like, surely they're not talking to me. Then my mentor pulls me up. He's like, sell this guy some work. And now I'm intimidated. I've got all of my insecurities, imposter syndrome, all the things mm. that you deal with when you're a young black professional. But you have to put it aside and you have to perform. So in comes the facade where you speak a particular way, you smile, you have to be charming, you have to be articulate. And it's all it's all a show because you have to be very charming. Yeah. And it's an allure where you, you're selling the art, but you're also selling a certain experience. Yeah. Um, and you engage the client just based on what they see, how they feel. And obviously this work is going to go into their home. So they already need to gravitate towards it while they're still in the gallery space. So that's what I mean by a certain facade. Money. Money is a very powerful thing. We're around collectors now, right? You had a question about what's the difference between a collector and a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking collectors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. One thing He's I'm coming to is that... No, I do. Okay. I was leading up to it. You disturbed okay. me. Okay. Money. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I know is that once you get that paper, everything changes. Yeah. You become suddenly more refined. Yeah. You were drinking cots. Suddenly you're sipping on chilled Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah. You were eating that cheese, Melrose cheese. Next yeah. thing you're eating brie on yeah. crackers. Yeah, yeah, Shout yeah. out to Mash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Mash. Man. One thing I know is that for to want to be a collector, you have to have the pocket, the bag, to really consistently collect fine art. Is this true? I beg to differ. Thank you. Please, let's go. Enlighten me, please. Because I'm pretty sure that 500 rands cannot really take me very far in terms of art collection. Okay, so with the event that I throw monthly, the art of dining, one of the key um, intents is to educate people around collecting, right? 
And most of the people that come to the event are fairly middle class, upper sometimes, but most of the time I'm dealing with young professionals, students sometimes, but it's like, you know, your fairly middle class type of person who does not have a very huge budget, but they are interested in collecting art. So what I offer, and this is not, um, it's very common practice, even with galleries, where you are allowed to buy the artwork on installment. So you create a payment plan of sorts, and let's say you pay it, depending on how much the work is, you'd pay it within three months or six months, sometimes a year, but at the end of the day, it's about feeding the artist. So whatever plan that is put in place, it must be efficient enough so that the artist gets the money into their bank account. So you can lay by an art piece. Yeah, ideally with the installment or payment plan, I will hold the work until the payment is made in full. So it's not necessarily, well, it is like a lay-by in a sense, Um, but it's just to, firstly, the person will reserve the work with the intent to buy. Then once they put down that first deposit, it's certain that, okay, the work has been sold. So we regard it as sold. It depends because I'll ask the artist sometimes, do you want me to pay you um, monthly or do you just want to wait until the work has been purchased in full? Most of the time, they'll want to be paid monthly. So now, as a business owner, and this is me specifically, mm. I have to decide because sometimes the client won't make payments on time, right? But now the artist is waiting for payments on a particular day. So now I have to decide, do I have the money to pay this artist once off and then I just keep getting payments from that client or do I if the client defaults on a payment pay the artist but these are just like the the kind of challenges that you face when you are operating without the same capital as a gallery Mm. because if someone would buy um, a work from a gallery on installments the gallery would probably just pay the artist in full and then they would be the one taking those installments monthly. So, but essentially, you don't need a big budget to buy art. There are those kind of mechanisms. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hello. Can I please speak to T-Swag? What's up? Yeah, T-Swag. Uh, listen, this is Salamanga's gallery here. We're still waiting for that 200 bucks. Uh, <laughs> when do you think we're going to get it? <laughs> Uh, nah, dog, it's been a rough month, so I don't know if I'll be coming. Yeah, 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 no, case. listen, we don't want to hear that story. Uh, <laughs> we're going to need that 199 ASAP, <laughs> Thank you. Listen, listen, just to, to maybe take then a step back a little bit as well. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're aware of the interest of people who want to be collectors. How are you, um, talk to me, how, like art collectors, how does one then become an art collector? You know, how, how does, yeah, I, I like art, but like I think art is expensive. So I can't afford it, but I like it. So I don't know, I'll, I'll purchase some quiche stuff to just make me feel like, but like, what, you know, how, how can I become an art collector or investor? Typically, okay, let's define an art collector, right? An art collector is somebody that doesn't only just have an interest in purchasing art, but has a very particular type of art that they want to buy. So it's either a particular genre particular medium or just a set of subject matter that they're very interested in. So that's what basically constitutes an art collector. You can be someone that buys 
art from flea markets, art from furniture stores, art from, you know, the kind of mass-produced works. And your home can look very beautiful, but that doesn't necessarily make you an art collector. So an art collector or somebody who invests in art is somebody that is interested in a particular type of art or a particular type of artist. So now... What can make you an art collector if you don't have the budget or have the access or the knowledge mm. that gets into becoming one? What I like to discuss in my event is just from an educational point of view, I try to empower my clients mm. because I'm not always going to be around. I'm not always going to advise you. Mm. You might be traveling and you see a piece of art that you really like and you need to find out information there that will help you get you know, a knowledgeable decision around purchasing the work. So I, I like to empower them in the sense that I say, collect with a purpose. So you buy work that speaks to you or buy work that speaks to the ideals that you believe in because I believe that art collecting is sort of like leaving a legacy because these are works that you might bequeath to your loved ones, you might donate to a museum or a gallery. So what kind of story do you want to leave behind when you die? What kind of narrative does that work that you've been collecting um, or the work that you have acc accumulated speak to? So collecting to a purpose relates to your politics as a person, your positionality, what are you passionate about? If you're interested in um, uplifting and empowering young black youth, then you would collect the work of emerging artists who are not necessarily um, trained through the academy or who are not hailed by galleries. Like that speaks to the um, what informs your your collect your collection practice. Mm. I also like to advise that people know a little bit around conserving artworks because that's a key player in how the the longevity of the work or how it will last. So things like works on paper, um, how do you how do you keep them if they're not framed? You need to keep them in acid-free paper. They need to be in cool, dark rooms. Um, you may not touch them with your bare hands. You need to wear gloves. Um, and then regarding works that are, let's say... Um, this, is, this is rich nigga shit. <laughs> <laughs> regarding works, let's say, that are on canvas or linen, it's not supposed to be exposed to sunlight. So regardless of whether it's framed or unframed, you can't put your work in, especially if you have a beach home, you can't put your work on the balcony where there is the sea breeze, there are all of the elements that will affect the work. Sometimes you might have a bronze sculpture that can actually stand the test of time and the elements. So there you, are, you, you may put it outside um, and then you'll just give it a wipe here and there. But if, let's say, you have a marble sculpture that is only for indoor purposes, you can't put it outside. So there are all of these technicalities that I make sure that I advise my clients about. Because what's the use of me selling you a work if you're not able to take care of it? Mm. Yeah. So, so essentially... If me, I want uh, I want to collect art. Um, you're you're positioning yourself in that in, in that position where if I want to get more information about this, I can call up Tembi. Exactly. Right? Um, and wait, is maybe you can also just touch on the difference um, between the curator and the agent, or is it like is it blurry lines? 
it art isn't, agent and yeah. a curator. It's not blurry at all because the curator is someone who works from a creative capacity but also as a project manager, right? Yeah. A curator is someone that puts things together, arranges things, mm. um, deals with artists. So it's a very practical um, management an administrative kind of position. Whereas if you are an agent of an artist, you deal with the person. Mm. So sometimes curators don't inter interact with artists. Sometimes galleries have people that will go out, speak to the artist, bring the work in, and the curator will just decide what goes where. But most of the time, these kind of jobs bleed into one another. Mm. But there's quite a clear distinction. And with my position specifically, I end up doing both because I will curate a show for an artist, but I'll also advise them mm. about their practice. And then I'll also advise my clients. So it's kind of who like... Are who are the collectors? So I do... I do most, if not all. How deep is the collector's pool in South Africa? It seems like it's a hidden little market where they don't want to be disclosed. But how deep do their pockets go? I think it's actually quite large. It's growing. Like, for instance, last year, Forbes published a collector's edition where they had various collectors of different fields. But um, there was an art section, and you you realize that Art collecting in South Africa is taken seriously by all the big banks, FNB, Standard Bank, Nedbank, um, even Sanlam, all of these financial institutions have an element of the business that focuses primarily on fine art. Understanding that not only is art important for society culturally, but it also forms an intrinsic part of our finances. It's a big part of our investment and it speaks to the heritage of our, of our country, but it's also the value that we place on that heritage, right? So it's it's quite deep, if you'd ask me, from an institutional level mm -hmm. and then down to the individuals. Oh, I forgot to mention RMB as well, which is FNB, yeah. and Investec, so many. Yeah. But down to the, in, the individuals who um, have the money and are very passionate about collecting art for leisure, not even from a point of investing but because they have the knowledge that it's an investment they genuinely enjoy doing it most likely large institutions instead of purchasing one item will probably acquire if they're interested in an artist multiple items so let's say a big bank is interested in me most likely another bank will what, also you as Ndaki for sure Ndaki is hot it's just no. that Ndaki doesn't have the can time you, can, to can we make this a more a more realistic analogy but, uh, <laughs> but the question is as an artist do I want to find myself attracting institutions or is the individual buyer cash flow steady enough to sustain nah, me? this guy that's the hottest question and he knows it that's I probably the best question you can this. can you answer that um no i think you, we can debate okay it. i think i think it's an interesting thing so just from my observation right um artists it's a push and pull between institutions and commercial so i know artists who work primarily to serve institutions because the work they make is not collectible. Um, the work they make is 
it speaks to certain things that makes people feel uncomfortable because at the end of the day, collecting is about aesthetics. It's about mm. how will I feel about an object being in my house, right? Yeah. Not all collectors will have an archive downstairs where they keep all of their artists. Most collectors collect work to display. Mm. So I know certain artists, for instance, um, Turiya Makadlela, she's a brilliant artist and she works with pantyhose and she okay. makes these amazing, amazing artworks that will span across distances, like an entire gallery wall space. So just from a practical point as the collector, you might not want to buy that piece because you can't see how you'll display it in your home. She'll also make these smaller canvas works with the pantyhose, but still a collector will ask us, how do I keep this clean? Because the pantyhose will cling onto certain things, it will get fluff. So collectors are very practical about what they buy beyond just the investment part and the aesthetics. It's how will I take care of this? So then comes in the institutions, um, biennales, museums. Um, wait, wait, wait. Do you know what a biennale is? Of course I do. Explain. Sorry, hold your thought. Explain. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> okay. Please explain. But now continue where you are going and then we'll... Okay, we'll go, we'll go back to that. But yeah. essentially, um, artists who work in particular ways might prefer serving institutions because it allows them to have more freedom, not thinking about whether the collector is going to like it. But that particular institution has the range, they have the resources, they have the capabilities mm. to take care of that particular work. The way you phrased it didn't sit well with me. What? Serving the institution. Sounds like you're in a nine to five here. <laughs> hold, hold that thought. Beniali, quickly. A Biennale is... I said Beniali, by the way. <laughs> oh, some people uh -huh. say Biennale, some people say Biennale, Biennale. Yeah, Biennale is a biannual show that is held to showcase art. So they can be in different cities, okay. in Germany, Berlin, in Istanbul, Turkey, in um, Venice. They're usually in the European cities. But essentially, um, the Biennale is a company that will hold these um, biannual exhibitions that span across the city. So what the city does and the Biennale, which is the constituent, will raise funds to curate a city exhibition. So the artist will either be commissioned um, to make work for the Biennale or the artist work will be purchased for the Biennale purposes. But the idea is for artists to be as creative as possible without the pressure of selling because there's already a budget in place. It's usually from a very educational point so that tourists, citizens, locals can have access to the shows. So it's, it, it's, it's kind of like an alternate... Um, way of presenting exhibitions without the commercial. It's a big um, time. It's a big time thing. No, as an artist, you need to be in a biennale. Yeah, of yeah. course. That's, That's the goal. That's the yeah. goal for most people. Time. But it's hard to get into them. How hard, hard would you be? Who? You, need to, you need to be doing some special stuff because biennales are usually, obviously, you know, they 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 usually just like yeah, big time things. You know, Soweto biennale coming soon. But if I could say, uh, two years ago in 2018, we had. 
Gabby Ngobo, she's oh she's also one of my favorite curators. She's hot. She's she's a South African um Durban born curator, black woman, and she was the very first black woman to curate a Biennale in Germany. And it was huge. It was amazing. She had a team of all black curators from across the diaspora. They did amazing work. There were a lot of South African artists who showed there. So we we are seen. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. fresh. That's fresh. You had sorry, I, I had cut you off, and I think before we go to a final um, break, you had you said you, she, you didn't like how she had said the serving the serving the institution. Maybe just yeah. Maybe you can. But then let's say you're in association with one of these major institutions, right? Uh, are there any limitations? What's the cost? Can I go wild with my art? Or then do I feel the need to confirm to certain conservatism for my art to sell? Because people in the bank aren't ndaki and teeth. You get what I'm saying? Okay, These are old, you. elderly people. Most likely they're attracted to a bowl of fruits there <laughs> other than an abstract uh, You'd actually uh, be surprised. Yeah. So, for instance, they have the Standard Bank Young Artist Award that they will award to artists who... Um, Okay, it varies. Like, they'll have dance, they'll have music, they'll have visual arts. But specifically with the visual art, I think the Standard Bank Young um, Artist Award is the most prestigious for a lot of artists in South Africa. It's the most recognized. So last year's winner was Blessing Gobeni, and his work is very political, very radical, speaks against capitalism, speaks against um, the... Basically, all the big C's of culture, mm. capitalism, um, just is a social commentary on things that banks, politicians, um, any 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 person might be muddled up in. But somehow, these institutions still engage with the work because their collections might be separate to their banking business hence they have like a whole different division so for instance Samim Luli is the director and the head curator of the Standard Bank Gallery and she has a fine art background so I believe that they trust those people for their expertise and what they're looking for even if it might contradict with what the institutions are actually doing Mm. okay Um, yeah I think, um, yeah, I think I'd like us, maybe we'll do one more quick ad break and then we wrap up the show. I think I've got one more question or something interesting that we'd wanted to do, um, which we yeah, should take like five minutes and then for sure we wrap up the show and we free up the rest of your day. All right. Are you an artist, but you lack that certain je ne sais quoi? Well, us here at Finance for Hippies got your back. Try our new and improved dyed dung milk, sourced from the teat of your favorite artist. Now going for the low price of however much you're willing to pay. Call in now and we probably won't answer because this is pre-recorded. Dyed dung milk, each sold separately, not for persons who suck at life. (laughs) Okay, cool. So, um, okay, cool. So we're back. And yeah, we're going to close off the show. We had an interesting thing that we wanted to just take you through, um, which is basically talking just about um, investing in art on a budget. So we're going to give you some amounts and you'll kind of give us some perspective of, you know, if I'm a young collector and I want to get into this art game, this elitist art game, but I want to, you know, I want to start collecting um, 
how can I kind of, how do you think I can play around with the little budget that I have? So we're going to shoot three amounts or four amounts because Ndaki is here. So the last amount needs to be real high. It's like level. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to start a teeth swag investment budget numbers. If I've got about 500 bucks a month, what do you think? Uh, yeah. What, what, what do you think I can, how can I get into the art collecting game? So you're speaking about spending 500 rand once off, right? Once off a month. I can do this for the whole year. I would look at works on paper. So you've got your prints, which are your lithographs or your etchings. You've got um, your drawings. Um, you've got your paintings, but primarily on paper. Okay. Those tend to be the least expensive works. And obviously with scale, it determines how expensive a work is. But I think for 500 Rand, you could get a good A4-sized work that is unframed Original. on paper. If it's a print, it might not be one of one. So mm. it might be an edition of 10 or an edition yeah. of 15. Um, and that's what affects the value of the work because yeah. it's not original. Yeah. So there's many editions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Only Done. Messes with Ndaki, ones Ndaki ones. is not happy with, with that range. <laughs> yeah. I'm good for that. I'm going in at that price, 500 bucks. I'm in. Yes. That, that, that's beautiful. Some little original works I can put, I can flex in my little uh, living room or back, back room. Um, so, you know, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Next amount, we say 2,000. Yeah, so I'm going to start doing it the auction with 2000 Dak is keen he wants 2000. to get it he's got 2000 bucks a month he calls up uh, curated by Tembi you see this number you make a good commission so I think and this is 2000 with commission which is even no no no, no. no you it, can add your commission oh okay this is after the commission so it's 6000 now let's go okay cool <laughs> no, yeah. we don't exploit okay. so let's say the work um, 2000 rand is the artist asking price right mm. I've got 2000 that I can spend a month I want to collect art. Yeah, and I can pay your commission. And I can pay your commission. But the, when you buy the work, it already has the commission built in. So if you have 2,000 right. rand, All I have is 2,000. I would say, um, okay, cool. Now you can jump into your originals, but on a very small scale. So you might get a painting that's on canvas, but it will be acrylic paint, not necessarily oil paint. You might get a, a watercolor painting on linen. You might get, but these are very small pieces. It's not going to be... Sounds like I'm tiny. painting my house, man. Tiny. Uh, <laughs> acrylic sounds like rooftop <laughs> paint. Even, uh, I need the primo even. stuff, but please continue. The thing is, like, artists usually use what is available to them. So... The cheaper the work, the cheaper the materials are going to be. Mm. So it's still good quality. The pigments will be good quality, but you might have it in a smaller scale and it might not be oil paint or an expensive gold pigment, but mm. it will still be beautiful and do the job. So if it's the right artist, you think um, you can get a good artist who will grow definitely, in value at that price? Definitely. All right. I that's good. Next price. So Lamanga bumps up. It's bonus time. 20K. It's got 20K. 20K. Now you can start looking into the larger works, right? So you might get yourself a good oil painting on a canvas or a good chalk or charcoal sketch that is quite large in size. You might get something that's mixed medium. So it could be paint and charcoal. You know the... And sculptures as well. The, 
Well, we're not there yet because okay, sculptures no, no, tend to be sculptures yeah, 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 tend yeah. to be slightly more expensive, All right, okay. depending on the material, though, because there are some sculptures that are made of um, blankets, uh, paper mache, all sorts of alternative mediums yeah. that could also fit into that 20k bracket. No, no, no. I think you can, you can also with you alternatives. Can, I want a classic marble. You, you, know? can, you can also David. start. Uh, I want a David. For 20k, I want a David. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can, you can also, you I think for 20k, <laughs> for 20k, you can start thinking about a great joy. You can start thinking about a great joy, from what I know. Where are we going to? We have to have one last number. We'd love to go up, 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 but like... Salamanca has talk. made it. Now Salamanca can drop a good 200k. The jump from 20k to 200k, yeah. though. It's hardcore. Where would you like us to do? For 100k, No, maybe? it's fine, because we're still speaking about the same kind of thing. So now... It's a fantasy, though. Those guys are idiots. It'll never have 200k to drop. Now house. we're it's moving... It's not going to happen. So, yeah. We're moving away from... Because I assume that the artists you would by um, work of when you have a smaller budget are emerging, right? So if you have a good 200K, you can pretty much afford to buy the more established artists. No, the guy must live at my home for 200K. <laughs> he must come here in the backyard so and paint full time. You could probably look All at... All my pieces every month. No one else. You <laughs> could story, look so. at um, sculpture for once, but it might be a very small bronze sculpture. Jeez. <laughs> it won't be... Um, because, for instance, like a larger, a larger, um, a, a larger sculpture can can cost up to twenty thousand dollars, you know. But then, and this is bronze. But then, if you let's say getting a small, uh, let's say forty centimeters high, forty by forty by forty, that would cost you about let's say two hundred k. But then it would also depend on who the artist is because mm. now you're getting to a point where you're looking at the more established artists. Yeah. Mm. So you also get um, certain artists who make tiny sculptures and you could get it for 40,000 rands. Mm. But it's because of that artist's provenance and who the artist is, who has bought the work that allows them to sell at that rate. I don't know what provenance means. Neither do I. <laughs> Let's just... I just made it. I got a bit of money. You're giving another number? Yeah. No, there's no number now. Who can I get to impress my new found rich friends? Oh. At dinner. <laughs> I called, well, not teeth. I called another friend of mine who's got money. <laughs> and I now I like to start a, con- a conversational starter. Yes. A hot piece. I yes. want to be hot now. I mean, um, I just made it. They need to respect me. Who do I get to get street cred? So do you want a sculpture? Do you want a painting? I want it. I, I just want to be the flyest dude. No. I'm not yeah. making logical decisions now. I'm making I decisions. I got mad money. I got mad money. And I'm like curated by Tim. He's going to make sure that when I bring, bring black coffee to my home, he's going to be like, yo, who's that? You so, know? okay, let me like act like I'm advising you. I'm not just going to speak like objectively. So I would say you would have to get a Zanelli Moholy portrait. Okay. Um, nice. There are these amazing, amazing new portraits that Moholy just um, presented at the, I think, um, a show in, in Cape Town at the A4 space 
very stunning photo- photographs. Some of them are beadwork, but it's super large scale, very impressive. So if you are trying to reel in a crowd and have conversation, that would be an excellent work to have. Mm. Let's say if you wanted sculpture and um, you were thinking around maybe something for the outside that will impress your your people, I would advise getting a Dylan Lewis sculpture. He makes these amazing works um, with cheetahs. So it's always bronze sculptures that have like cheetahs or any wildlife. Hmm. Uh, R&B likes those works a lot. You'll see them in the office spaces. Or you could get a Deborah Bell. She makes these massive sculptures that are these serene um, Buddha-looking figures. So typically for garden spaces because mm. a lot of them will have like a waterfall and this is just to flex it has this nothing to do I mean, I'm with, not playing games. Yeah. it has nothing to do with whether you know because you could find one of those sculptures being worth 800k yeah um there's a particular sculpture at, did it just flex did it at just the flex? at the everard reed by brett murray and it was over a million rands which one the head no, it's a massive sculpture of a gorilla. All right. It's huge. It's really, yeah. really huge. That's so hard. that was um, over a million rands worth. But that's like when you're really, really flexing. Yeah, that's when you're really, really flexing. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. So, so um, I also think, what, what would, if I had no budget, I'd, I'd, I'd cop a Rasta. If I had no budget, I'd go to Rasta. Shout out to, to our homie Rasta. Rasta's work is cheap, though. I said if I had no, I mean, if I had limitless oh, budget. Oh, a limitless. Personally, okay. if I had limitless budget, Got you. I'm hunting down Rasta. I'm purchasing a Rasta. I don't care what he's selling it for. I'll give Rasta a blank check. Rasta, if you're listening to this right now, I need a portrait. John Salamanga needs a portrait <laughs> of me, excluding teeth, of course. Nah, bro. He's doing Please well come through. We need you on this show, Rasta. You're the people's artist. Your generations, your Karabo, uh, your Tau. You're the one. <laughs> Come through. Real talk, man. Tembea, you gave us some, some, some beautiful, some beautiful, um, just insights, some beautiful messaging, some beautiful um, perspective on everything that you're doing. Maybe, maybe we can close off just on, you know, like. What's your vision? What's go, you know like what's what's gonna be going on um, for you? Um, yeah, yeah. Over over you know the next year, um, you know where 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 are we taking this? So um, this year, as you mentioned in the beginning, I'm currently doing my masters. So this will be in the beginning, by the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you. Off. Okay. So we put okay, 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 cool. So I'm back at school doing my masters in heritage and management culture. So I'm shifting my career because I'm more interested in policy that affects the arts and artists. So the vision ultimately throughout this year and next year as well is to kind of become an authority and a voice upon certain matters that affect artists, um, certain disadvantages that they face that the state perhaps um, is not helping with. And with regards to my company and the initiatives that I hope to do this year, I just want to continue. So I really want 
to um, start doing the Art of Dining events again. Yeah. Because I haven't had them since last year in October. Yeah, we're pulling through to those. Well. Yes, sure. please, please, please. I'll invite you guys. So yeah. hopefully the Art of Dining will um, have resumed by March. And I'm also hoping to get more artists because the year just started, but I'm already meeting new artists. I've already sold a couple of works. Dope. So it's all about finding more people, finding more clients, and then doing a whole lot of creative interventions and projects. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah, man. I think, I think, I think we, 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 we've had a, a beautiful show, which was curated by Tembi. Uh, Naki, you know, I, th- I think you grew today. I think you, you, you learned a few things, you know. For sure, no. I think <laughs> Salamanca, you know, you know, a full fledged. You can start collecting now. No, no, definitely I collect. For you sure. can start collecting now, and I think yeah, Tembi, I think it's really been, it's really been cool. Uh, I think we've all learned a lot, and I think um, I still think you're gonna do some phenomenal stuff. I still think you're gonna disrupt this this industry, but. But I, I also just look forward to seeing how you're going to work with people, you know, with artists, so with institutions. Yes. And I also think it's going to be great. I think there's lots of, of people who want to see you win at what you're doing. I really think you mm-hmm. need to be aware of that. There's a lot of people who want to see you win at it. And there's lots of people who need to see you win at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there's so much we could discuss. There's so many probably politics and things that you are working through but we just wanted to really keep it about the bag you know about uh cutting that check within this game and yeah i'm just i'm I'm, yeah really honored really appreciative for you to come for you to come through um yeah those are my closing words thank you guys so much for having me i love this platform i think it's brilliant i can't wait to listen to all the other episodes i really like having the opportunity to be visible and express what I'm doing as well as all the things that I would like to do. So I'd just like to express my gratitude for that. No, thank you for joining us today. Okay. On that note, that's season two, Finance for Hippies, over and out.